It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999 with your hosts, Kenny Nybart and Phil Iskov. Where we review movies or look back at movies from 1999 from our purchase here in 2017. Um, and uh, that is um, my time to do the Mr. Movie Phone. Mr. Movie Phone. But uh, this week on welcome Twitter. Welcome to Movie Phone. Welcome to Movie I reached out directly to Mr. Movie Phone yeah. and I asked him to do it himself. And what he, did we get from he him? Did, well, I got a like from you. And radio silence and from I got Mr. radio Movie silence Phone. from Six Second Reviews, <laughs> at Six Second Reviews. On, I, don't, I mean, the guy's name is. Uh, the guy's name is Russ Leatherman, which seems and, appropriate. And he, you know, he's made tons of cash off Movie Phone. True. Shut sto- up! How much money has he made off of Movie? First Phone? of all, do you know who started Movie Phone with him? No, Andrew Jarecki. Who? Oh wait, the documentarian. The documentarian who did the the, the Jinx. The Jinx, exactly. Oh. He oh. was one of the people, and this guy Russ Leatherman, and they made tons of money, tens of millions of dollars off Movie Phone. That's amazing. Appropriately so. So he, you know, Ish. he's probably off on some some yacht. And doesn't have time to record a six second opening <laughs> to our podcast about movies from 1999. <laughs> so I will continue to do a yeah, no, it's going to be relentless until he eventually commits version <laughs> um, until he comes and does it and does it. You should do it. But um, well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So this week. This week we are talking about. So uh, we're talking. You know what movie we're talking about because you downloaded this podcast. But I'm going to pretend you don't. We're talking about a movie from 1999 directed by Anthony Minghella. We're talking about only movies about 1999 for the record. You made it sound as though. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. We're talking uh, yet another movie from 1999. <laughs> um, Directed by Anthony Vigalit, yeah. based on a novel by <laughs> Patricia Highsmith, as mm-hmm. I alluded to last week, mm-hmm. starring Matt Damon. <laughs> Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Blanchett, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and a very game James Ryborn. Yes, um, the, so best. Great. the guy's the best. The best. The best. The Almost best. as good as David's impression of him. But um, <laughs> I know Damon makes a better better Ryborn than Ryborn. What's your favorite uh, Ryborn performance? Oh, there's there's so many, but two. I mean, the game, the game. 
Sure. Because he does this unbelievable dance at the end, yeah, like yeah. the happy part of the game at the end. Yeah. He also he also like shines a weird light on how improbable the whole movie is at the very end. Where he's oh, like, yeah, yeah. If you didn't jump, I was gonna have to push. Yeah, you. I love actually. <laughs> actually, I hate that. <laughs> actually, because I got this big theory about the. I'm like, yeah. it works perfectly. It works yeah. perfectly. I'm like, well, it doesn't. It work doesn't work perfectly, perfectly. <laughs> if the plan was to push him. Then he wouldn't have committed suicide. If yeah. all right, yeah. I think he's making a joke because he's red porn. The other one, of course, is meet the parents. Oh, really? Oh yeah. I, mean, I was I was gonna say Son of a Woman. Oh yeah. I mean I don't He's know. Great in Son of a Woman. Yeah, he is, but I don't really love that movie. I have a soft spot for really? that movie. I don't know why, but you know, I do. Wuha? I don't know. <laughs> That's why. It's, it's the Wuha. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot baked in the Son of a Woman really quickly because it is that moment where Pacino turned from the best actor to who's character. ever lived to what we've had for the last. I don't know. Years. He still put in some solid performances post Son of a Woman. Heat um, is heat. Heat's heat, great. Heat, and the insider is yeah. great, which we will talk about on this podcast yeah. at a certain point. That's true. Anyway, but it's it's definitely but a turning heat point. It's a great movie, but he's kind of closer to that son of a woman character than, you uh-huh. know. There's a part of me that feels like that's actually akin to Nicholson's Joker. Like when all of a sudden Nicholson became aware of he became larger than life. He he became a caricature. He's no like, longer Nicholson anymore. And know, I love him in, in Batman, but it felt like a big kind of move. You know the way I feel about the movie where he really went over the end edge, the, the, the departed. departed. But I think for yeah. the fifteen years, I actually like that Nicholson a lot. I like that. Sure. I like Crazy Nicholson. I don't love Crazy Pacino. But what I did love, okay. I loved the talented Mister Ripley. Yeah, you did. Uh, I did. I really love the movie. Yeah. Um, I have a. Uh, Things that I, I, I want to discuss and, and yeah. talk about the way they aged and, and why I think this movie ages a lot better than most movies from 1999 and Just. why I think it's 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 the the, the ideas and the and the concept, concepts it put, puts forth are more resonant today than they were back then. Absolutely. And uh, the decision they made to have a, in my opinion, a very unlikable protagonist. It's a villain. Um, He's a villain, and, and I read some reviews that tried to tried to say, "No, he's ambiguous. No. Motherfucker's a murderer." He, he's, he, so uh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, to give a little context mm-hmm. before we dive into into all of it, um, it was released on Christmas Day, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, had a budget of forty million dollars, ended up making one hundred twenty eight million dollars. Put it all on the screen. More it than it most. really was on yeah. the screen. Forty million dollars. This movie looks immaculate. I mean, it really looks beautiful. I mean, it really makes you want to move to Italy. Um, so, uh, it did quite well, but it should be said that it never, it did not hit the level, I think, of a claim that was expected of it. Yeah. Um, you've got Mingella coming out of English Patient, Matt Damon coming off of Goodwill Hunting, Gwyneth Paltrow coming off of Shakespeare in Love, Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. coming off of Elizabeth. Elizabeth yeah. I mean, they were all, it should also be said too that this movie was Shot prior to the release of any of those films, so not any of those films. Not Goodwill Hunting, but it, it is. It was shot before Goodwill Hunting. You're kidding? Yes. Goodwill Hunting. Why did they had a weird him? Because he had done Saving Private Ryan, which was also shot prior to Goodwill Hunting's release. It's a weird thing, but because of good, I, it doesn't really work. That doesn't really make sense. I mean, okay, you can, you can Saving Private Ryan. You can look it up if you want. Saving Private Ryan wouldn't have been released. Before this movie, they would have been taking. Saving Private Ryan was released before this prior was shot? to this film. No, that's true. Ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah. But it wasn't released before this was shot. If Good say Goodwill Hunting was a ninety seven movie. Uh, okay, 
So you're saying this was shot before 1997? I mean, that, that's what I read online. Mm, okay. Oh, we'll do some look. I, that that surprises me. That that, that surprises me <laughs> that, that you would you would entrust that role in this movie to a guy who's never done anything. Okay, except even school. Let's ties. just let's just okay. Let's just assume for argument's sake, as you continue to drink water, and, I'm almost done. Um, <laughs> right on, Mike. Uh, that was a joke. That was gross. <laughs> um, so, uh, point is, none of these people were. At the level, really, that they, they, they weren't fucking movie stars yet is the point I'm trying to make. Agreed. I don't think that any of but them they had, were hot. They were hot and everyone knew that they were going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my God. As someone who detests people that eat and drink on mic, mm. okay. It's over. We're moving past right. it. It's done now. Uh, my point, oh, my God. My point <laughs> is that none of these people were... Really, movie stars yet? Agreed. And this film came out at a time when everyone was expecting them to be, and I think that the expectations on this film were quite high because of all of that. I think that Mingala obviously won a slew of Oscars for English Patient, uh, so it, it just had a lot of a, a lot of um, a, had a big spotlight on it. It also was the film that arguably launched Jude Law, right? Inarguably, I mean, inarguably. Sorry, it was really his yeah. first. Major role. I mean, he was in Gattaca, which yes, it's a good, it's a good movie. Underrated by the movie. way, I love Gattaca. Yeah, it's a great movie. Played the same character, a beautiful person who someone else wanted to steal their identity. It was, it's crazy, but yeah, but not like a charismatic this, person that not, someone actually wants. No, not to be. the same character, but like the right. plot was very similar in its own weird way. Um, sure, but yeah, this was really that movie that went from this was the movie that 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 launched the series of years where Jude Law was in everything. That, and like, Hollywood was determined to make Jude that Law That Chris thing. Rock joke about it how just, he's in everything. That Sean Penn then defended Jude because Law at the Oscars. Because he's America's finest actors, or the world's finest actors. <laughs> one of the world's finest But he wasn't. All right, so the board is Jude Law was nominated for an Oscar, the only actor yes. in this movie to be nominated for an Oscar. Indeed. Um, and deservedly so. Yeah, he's great. Jesus and it's a movie star Christ. performance. It's a movie oh star God. performance. It's also a performance that is... Uh, so well done that he drops out of this movie an hour or so in, mm-hmm. and you feel him for the remaining hour or so of the movie. I'd which argue is you miss him. Sure, sure. Uh, no, I mean that. I, I, I do. I think sure. the movie actually suffers in its second half. I'm not saying that. Sure, you keep him around. I'm just saying that. Well, let's talk about yeah. it as we get into. I think there's um, uh, something else that I think is interesting in terms of reading up on on the the pre-production and the, the build-up to this movie, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio turned down the role of Tom Ripley uh, to do The Beach. Yeah. Um, I think he might have actually been really good in it. It would have been amazing. Right? Yeah, when I, re- I read that too, and I, I thought the same thing. He would have been amazing. He would have been great. Yeah. Is, and I think at it, any point in his career, but especially that at that moment. Career, yeah. To play, it's interesting because post-Titanic, there were all these rumors that he was, he, I mean, Leo was looking to do something Outrageous, or something that was just to get out of this, you know, teen idol sort of mm-hmm. Titanic, whatever. And one of the one of the movies he was almost did was American Psycho, mm-hmm. which I don't think he would have been good at necessarily. But the point, the reason I bring it up is this is a role that would have been perfect at that moment for him. Um, uh, yeah. It would have shaken. It would have. It would have shaken some of that. That teen bullshit away from Titanic. It would have shown that he has the gravitas to do it. I think he would have been great in it. Anyway, he made the beach. So he I mean, would have. He would have been. He would have been great in it. He's ne- I'm, for my money. He's never given a bad performance. 
Okay. Um, I can't think of one at least. Um, he's always good. He's maybe not always in great movies. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, point being, yep. it was an interesting thing. Um, and I think Damon is great in this movie, to be clear. I actually think it's one of his best performances. I think he's great too. Uh, and, and I think that it was bold of him at the time to do this, this role. And I think that at the time he got smacked around for it. I think that a lot of people talked about how, like, you know, this it, it didn't it didn't work so well with the image that he had at, the, at that moment. And I think that that was part of why this film was not embraced. I think to a certain extent. Let's put a pin in that too. That's an interesting okay. conversation to have. Um, I also think it's interesting that Gillian Flynn has talked about how um, she cites it as an influence on her adaptation of, of her book Gone mm-hmm. Girl, which I think you can see a little traces bit. of it yeah a little bit um, which i think is also a, an interesting thing too um yeah so i, I see pe- i've seen people say that gillian flynn referencing ripley mm-hmm. yep. led to a reevaluation of ripley yes um which may be true i didn't feel that in the culture but it may be true but i hope this podcast actually does because <laughs> sure the, the, no because it really is like I, I think people remember this movie for the wrong reasons um, and I we'll think that's in, a fair assessment. And we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll talk the, about The that wrong well. good reasons, but the wrong reasons. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that um, – I want to talk very briefly um, about a movie that you haven't seen, unfortunately. It's yeah. a great movie. But it's a movie that I just kind of want to touch on a little bit here because it – I saw um, Call Me By Your Name last weekend uh, shortly before re-watching Town to Mr. Ripley just coincidentally. And I found myself really kind of seeing not just parallels but – it was just an interesting moment, I guess, when I was sort of thinking about that both these films take place in Italy. They're both period pieces. They both touch on sort of class issues, class distinctions mm-hmm. to a certain extent. But most importantly, they obviously both deal overtly with, well, Call Me By Your Name deals with homosexuality overtly. Town to Miss Ripley is sort of subtextually, even though at times it's a little more heavy-handed than mm-hmm. at others. Um, I, I do see a little bit of Dickie Greenleaf in Army Hammer's performance in Call Me By Your Name, which okay. I think is interesting, too, just in terms of the fact that... Uh, well, give me a little synopsis on Call Me By Your Name. Okay. Three, three the, lines on Yeah, it's it, very, very brief. Basically, it takes place in the early 80s. It's about a young man um, who is sort of uh, in his... Sexual awakening, if you will. He's probably a, he's definitely a teenager. He's in his early. He's like I think 17, he's seventeen. Seventeen. Uh, and Army Hammer uh, basically starts to intern for his father, who is a professor. And so he uh, he's an American, and he this this teenager falls in love with Army Hammer, and vice versa. And they sort of you know they it's a coming of age movie. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's really beautifully done. It's very lightly done. It has a very sort of um, I didn't know what to expect walking into it. It was um, had a very light touch. Uh, it's a really beautiful movie, um, and it's a really interesting movie. And it fully wraps its arms around, obviously, uh, you know, two men falling in love and 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 the various consequences that can come with that. Um, Ripley doesn't do that, obviously. Ripley is is baking that into more of the identity issues that come with that. I don't feel as though there's as much of that in Call Me by Your Name, but. I just felt like I'd be remiss if I didn't draw mm-hmm. some sort of parallels between these two movies, since I do feel like they have, a, you know, a significant amount of overlap. Yeah. So, so. She, well, it certainly seems like there's some shared DNA. The, the yeah. other movie that, again, having having not seen Call Me by Your Name, I'm yeah. kind of just no, s- yeah. speaking off the cuff. But it does seem like you can draw a jagged line from this to Brokeback to 
call me by your name in the way sure. you can tell a story about gay romance with um, you know Army Hammer, big movie star, whatever, maybe mm-hmm. not, but a, a, a big mainstream movie. Sure. Now it seems like Call Me by Your Name mm-hmm. is as, as not a pun mm. <laughs> told as straight as you can tell. A, a yeah right and yeah. you know there, there re- it really isn't about no if, if this is an okay thing to be doing right no uh, no you really don't feel the threat of um you feel a, you certainly feel a threat in Brokeback Mountain sure you don't really feel it in Ripley as much well the the point I'm making about Ripley is yeah. the, the movie is about being in the closet. Yeah, at times, literally. Literally, I mean, yeah, Yeah. but the movie is about being in the closet. The movie is about a character who is in the closet. He wants to come out of the closet. He's desperately trying to come out of the closet, you know, and be But at the time, it's not not as widely accepted. And every time he tries to be Dicky, someone's like, you're Tom. And to him, I think that's like, you're gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's very interesting. So I think that... I think that's just kind of interesting. Um, that's, that, that's, that's about true. it, you know. And we will be talking about Boys Don't Cry, which is another, another movie. Yeah, yeah another movie with LGBTQ overtones, not even overtones themes. Yeah. Um, that obviously dealt with it a lot more straight on, but that was an indie, probably it was. made for a million dollars, yeah, based sure. on a true story. That's but I do think thing. it does. I do think it's interesting to note, you know, ninety nine. You know, I think that this country thought itself to be probably more progressive I, I do felt like there was a mm-hmm. I think that you know we had sort of we I wasn't even living in this country at the time but it did eh, feel as though may as well work <laughs> okay but I do feel like you know we had an election around the corner a very contentious election that yeah. that was that was coming around the pike I think that the good old days the good old days of, um, the good I old just, days of Bush v. Gore <laughs> But I do think that I do think it's interesting to talk about sort of how there were a fair amount of movies in '99 that dealt with homosexuality, that dealt with with the various sort of you know different types of of uh, introverted sexual behavior. Yeah. So yeah, some some overtly like some overtly boys and don't, some, boys don't cry, and yeah. some very convertly yeah. like I'm sorry, covertly like uh, Fight Club. But yeah, exactly. And so all this is a long way of saying, and I think the Brokeback's an interesting parallel to draw too in terms of the, the, the breadcrumbs that you can see between those three films. But either way, Call Me By Your Name, great movie. Everyone should go and see it. Uh, very well done. And uh, and then maybe watch Tauntimus Ripley afterwards and see the parallels. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so before we jump into the plot of this movie, uh, I'm going to have a very, very brief synopsis of for the people that haven't seen this movie. Uh, Tantamus Ripley was written and directed by Anthony Minghella. It was his follow-up, as we mentioned, to the Oscar-winning English Patient, an adaptation of Patricia Highsmith's novel, the same name. Uh, features Matt Damon uh, as Ripley, a bright and charismatic sociopath skilled at impersonating other people, forging handwriting, and running second-rate scams. After being mistaken for a Princeton student, Tom meets the shipping tycoon father of Dickie Greenleaf, played by Jude Law who has traveled to the coast of Italy, where he's living a carefree life with his father's money and his beautiful girlfriend Marge, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Dickie's father uh, pays Ripley to go to Italy to persuade Dickie to return to America. As Ripley and Dickie become friends, Tom finds himself both attracted to Dickie and envious of his life of pleasure. In time, he decides that he would rather be Dickie Greenleaf than Tom Ripley. So rather than go back to his life of poverty, he plunges into a daring scheme of duplicity, lies, and murder. So... Let's talk about the movie. Um, big picture 
from a 30,000 feet. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, the movie isn't just about a man in the closet, but I think it's very much about wanting to belong. It's about wanting to fit totally. in. Totally. Uh, embracing who you are rather than the, what people want you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about class, not not fitting in, what you're willing to do to get past the velvet rope. Yep. You know what I mean? I feel like that's really what it's about. It's about a guy who feels like he doesn't, uh, he can't, you know, punch in. He can't get into that that sort of higher echelon of, of society. Mm-hmm. Um and about sort of, it's also very much about appearances and facades as mm-hmm. well. You know, it, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty tragic. It's a pretty tragic movie. It actually. is. Um, we'll get to, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll get to the final scene, but it's a heartbreaking scene. It's devastating. It really is. It's a really devastating scene. Yeah. Um, and let's let's get there when we get yeah, there. Yeah, of course, but, of course, but. You almost can't talk about the movie without talking about the final scene. I know, but we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah, there. Let's, let's get there. You know, I I agree with everything you just said, um, and I do think that this movie is kind of on one hand very much about a man in the closet, another <laughs> hand very much about a man stuck at a, in a certain status in life. Yeah, or it seems Absolutely. he would be, and he has this one lifeline, and he takes it. Yeah. Now I, there are some. But he recognizes the lifeline, I think, is a yes. key thing. Do you know what right. I mean? He sees this opportunity. Immediately. <clears throat> so there, there, there are a bunch of decisions that were made. Now, I, I mean this in two ways. There mm-hmm. are a bunch of decisions that were made in terms of the telling of this story mm-hmm. and also the departures from the novel. Sure. Um, so, Which the movie was hit pretty hard for, by the way, too. Which is like, to me... I know. But I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. At the that, time, I remember it being bullshit. Like, it's yeah. just like it. O- <laughs> it is. It just always feels like tell the best story, you know. And you, yeah. you, have, you always should have the opportunity to tell the best story yeah. um, when you're tasked with that. And also yeah. recognize the difference between mediums. I feel like a sure. lot of people, and I'm one of them, where some of my favorite books have been adapted, and it's not how it, it was sucks, in my head. And you're like, uh, but you have to deviate. Anyway, sorry. So. I'm going to deal with the, the first part first. Basically, what the, what it does right in the beginning, and I checked this. He's in Italy eight minutes into that movie. You know nothing about Tom. You, this is what you know about Tom before he gets to Italy. He can play the piano. Mm-hmm. He is willing to tell a lie. Mm-hmm. He looks like Matt Damon. I mean, he's like, but not to, not to, but I, I will also say, and this is to your point, the amount of story they convey in the credits alone. Is pretty amazing. Just in the credits, they mm-hmm. get us to Italy, right? Which is a very sort of yeah. like Hitchcockian thing, where you're just like it was. It's very classical sort of storytelling. That, that was that was like him learning to be Dicky, though, right? That was it's like him the learning jazz to be Dicky. It's and also, and this I think is the the key thing that you learn about Tom is when he plays the piano when he's uh, playing the piano at that uh, opera house by himself mm-hmm. on the stage, and that guy turns the lights on and he like scatters like a cockroach. Yeah, I think that that's a really key moment for him where you're just like you see a guy who's already trying to be something he's like already trying to get onto that that echelon well I, I mean we are saying the same thing in that yeah I think it's one of the most brilliant choices in in a movie it, you know as a writer and you're a writer we spend a lot of fucking time setting shit up and I then I spend a lot of time deleting that shit that I set up um, and the sooner you can get to the place you want to get to, mm-hmm. the place where the movie takes place or the mm-hmm. television show takes place, the better. Yeah, the economy um, of it to is. To do it in yeah. eight pages in a 215-minute yeah. movie to get us where we need to be yep. and tell me what I need to know about that character. Totally. You know, I, I know he's low class. Yeah. I know he's willing to tell a lie. Um, I know he's an opportunist. And that's it. That's yeah. all I need. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so that was the, the first And you didn't really know how to 
feel about him. I, I have to say, like, yeah, that's one of the things to. that I find really interesting about Damon's performance in this um, is that I don't, and I, I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know if it's Damon's acting ability, which I think it very well could be, or if it's where we are in Damon's career. But he seems uncomfortable in his own skin. In the beginning. In the beginning. Because he's a good actor. Because he's a good actor. Yes. And you just, you're watching, you're just like, this guy just doesn't seem, he just, he seems kind of robotic. He seems a little bit like he's wearing someone else's skin. You know what I mean? Which is, which is really, really great acting on, on Damon's part. Not only that, he looks ridiculous. In that scene, when he first comes upon Dickie, so basically, he's on the beach in Italy. Sure. And he is, you know, he, he has he has a few bits and pieces about Dickie's life. He knows that he went to Princeton. He knows what year he graduated. Mm-hmm. He he has enough from James Rebhorn, mm-hmm. who he lied to and said he was his classmate, yeah. that he can go up to Dickie and say, Dickie Greenleaf, yeah. we, we went to Princeton together. Yeah. While he is wearing yeah. nothing but a neon green bikini yeah. bathing suit. Yeah. It's the, it, the color had not yet been mm-hmm. invented by Nike. It's uh, real ugly. On his... White, Snow, yeah. white body, which Dickie comments on, but yeah. it's he, a primer. He looks cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, and he has this like great line. Yeah. He says the primer. That's, that's and then Margie, they love Margie him. likes it. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's so cute. Yeah. But um, it's such a he, he looks ridiculous he among all these beautiful people, and obviously yeah. Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. The point of the movie is that Matt Damon can pass for a beautiful person. Yep, um, and also pass as a as an awkward, uncomfortable person. Yep, uh, which is I think that. Um, Ripley could have easily become a, a simple sociopath, but I think that Damon mm-hmm. sort of instills a wounded humanity in him. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? He he leaves you rooting for him even when he's murdering people, which well, I think I want is, to talk about that. But there's also like he's young and he's beautiful. He's eager to please. There's this bright light in his eyes. Like he Damon's doing a lot of stuff in this movie that I'm not sure I've seen him do since. And I don't mean that as a slag. I think he's done a lot of great performances, but I do feel like. Um, he hasn't really taken swings like this before. What's your favorite Damon performance? That's not this. Um, I really love the informant, mm-hmm. where he, which I think he's great in. Um, I think he's. I mean, I love him in Goodwill Hunting. Quite frankly, yeah, I think too. that movie's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those are the ones that jump out at me. Um, I also just sort of uh, want to talk real briefly about Mingella as we sure. sort of come into this yeah. movie. Um, I mean, he's clearly channeling Hitchcock. I mean, there's really... It's, it's a Hitchcock It's movie. a Hitchcock movie. It really movie. is, yeah. Um, it's a thriller set in European locations and trains and boats. Mm-hmm. and like it's, it's got a very Hitchcock vibe to and it. And as we mentioned last time, Patricia Highsmith wrote Strangers on a Train. She did. Also a... <laughs> A movie about people... Covert gay romance. Covert, yeah, well, not a romance. Co- that but, too. Yeah. But also just you know people that are... It's a great movie. Um, Strange on the Strange on a Train is, yeah. is amazing. I think Hitchcock has said it's his favorite movie. That he has he said made. on many, on many occasions so. that's his favorite. I think there's also Mingella is always doing sort of complex love stories. I mean, he's he is a he clearly was a romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's probably my favorite Mingella movie. If I'm being honest, he didn't unfortunately make as many as I would have liked. Um, and I, I think he stumbled a little bit coming out of Cold Mountain. I'm not really sure that he knew what to do after that. Um, and that movie wasn't embraced maybe to the, to the extent that I think he thought it was going to be. It, it has to be a little tough. It's I mean, a weird the, movie. That mo- I, I believe it was nominated for Best Picture, wasn't it? And there was not. Or then just Renee Zellweger Renee was like a one yeah. uh, for that, too. Of all things. Of all things. Jude Law was nominated for Best Actor for it, which is interesting. Um, he, I, I think it's also Mingella's most 
fun movie. I know that's a weird word to use in association with this movie, but it's the most playful. He's only done one movie I would ever want to watch again, and it was Talented Mr. Ripley. I love English Patient. Well, I, I, I haven't seen it in a very long time. I would never choose to watch it uh, unless we started to do a podcast like it's 1996. But 97. 96. Whatever. Um, but <laughs> I wish you all could have seen how smugly uh, yeah, Kenny well, just said that to me. Yeah, basically, basically picture someone who knows he's right <laughs> because he's looking at it on the internet right now. <laughs> but let me just say this about English Patient, and this is not a podcast about English Patient, obviously, but I do think that English Patient, I mean, listen, Fargo is arguably my favorite movie, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to sit here and say English Patient should have won Best Picture. I think Fargo should have won it. But I also think that English Patient gets gets knocked for beating Fargo, beating Fargo a little bit, which yeah, it does. is you know what I mean, and, yeah. and I, I don't know that that's necessarily fair. I think the English Patient, I, I understand why there are people that don't love it, um, but I, I quite enjoy it. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a. I'll watch it one movie. of these days. Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, uh, you know yeah. what I did realize this week. Mm. We're not only going to have to watch The Haunting, we're going to have to oh, watch yeah. The House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, that's a nightmare. Yeah. We have a we have a bunch of movies that we have. We to got watch some there. real some serious. We got some stinkers to watch, man. Oh, but we've man. also got some stuff that like I'm kind of looking forward to rewatching. I was talking with uh, with some of my friends back home about Idle Hands. Yeah, good Drek. I'm looking forward. To. There's some. There's some. You want to do Idle Hands like soon? <laughs> we can do Idle Hands soon. I would do Idle Hands like that. That's not. That's <laughs> not bad. But I have not seen it since the theater in April of '99, and I remember with sitting. Devin Sawa. Devin Sawa. Is he Jessica Canadian? Alba. He's not Canadian, I don't believe. I mean, what kind of name is that, Devin Sawa? I think it's a Canadian name? I actually hate making fun of people's names. That's a really crappy thing to do. But um, (laughs) let's see. Oh, my dude, you won't believe it. I knew he was. Is he? Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, there you go. Okay, fine. But I don't think you could tell he was Canadian from his goddamn name. (laughs) Anyway. No, of course you can. There's Uh, no such thing as a Canadian name. Everyone knows that. Um, moving on. Anyway, uh, yes, we have to watch the haunting. We have to watch haunting on uh, the whatever the house on the house on hotel. hotel. Uh, but we get to watch Idle Hands. But we get to watch Idle Hands, so it works out. Yeah. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, let's talk a little about Jude Law's performance. Sure. Uh, you want to be Dickie Greenleaf. But you also think he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> he's doing something there that's yeah. impressive. There's a charisma and a magnetism, a privilege, uh, and it makes you remember why Hollywood 
was like, this guy is fucking it. Like, this guy needs to be in everything now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, it didn't really pan out. <laughs> I mean, it did, but it didn't really. Like, don't get me wrong. Jude Law is still Jude Law, and he's still in a lot of things, and people like him, and, you know, he's getting so, roles. But So, like, the best career in Hollywood is probably like Leonardo DiCaprio's career, right? That's like the top career you can have. Sure. Well, or, well, yeah, maybe. Of a person of that age range. You know, makes whatever movie he wants, gets nominated for every every time he goes out. I don't know about Well, tell that me who you think it is. That's, that's, I'm trying to say Jude Law could have been that guy. It seemed like he was going to be that guy. And he's I don't Jude know, Law. He's I don't guy. know that that's what he was, what the, what Hollywood was building him to be. Who do you think he, who, so who's the guy who, who became Jude Law? I don't. Or, I don't know if I know who it is that became Jude Law, but I certainly think that they were trying to turn him into something um, akin to. Oh man, that's tough. I, I'm 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 stumped on that right now. But I will say this: I think that uh, when they put him in the remake of why am I drawing a blank on the goddamn name of that movie that he was in? Uh, oh man, was it Reason? No, no, no. It was it was back uh, right around the time when they were trying to like turn him into a big, big movie star. Uh, Alfie yeah. is what they were, that was a movie where I think that they were like, yeah. I mean, like, let's just not to not to whatever, but like, look at this. You got talented Mr. Ripley, Enemy at the Gates, AI. Which I mean, listen, I could talk for hours about AI, but that was a performance in a movie that I think people were really putting a lot on. He's great in Road to Perdition. These are a lot of supporting performances. He's great. He's good in Cold Mountain, but that was a movie. That's that was that was the movie that I think they were like, we're going to launch him into the next level with yeah. Cold Mountain, and it didn't happen. That's been amazing. I heard Huckabee's Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Alfie, uh, he's great in Closer. He's in The Aviator. Like he made a slew of movies between this film, which comes out in '99, and I mean, honestly, 2007. He did. It looks like f- almost 15 movies. When you think of Jude Law, what movie do you think of? That's a good question. It, it might be this movie. It might be this movie. Yeah, I think that too. I think this is the quintessential Jude Law performance. I, I think it kind of is. I look at all of these movies, and listen, he's made a lot of great movies, and I do love that Contagion is kind of a reunion of Tantum Mr. Ripley. The three of them. Which I think yeah. is kind of great. Well, Gwyneth Paltrow had been gone for years. Years, yeah. Um, but, but it's he's a... I, let me be very clear. I love Jude Law. I think he's great. I think he's... I think he's a really great character actor. Um, I do. I just think they thought he was going to become a leading man. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying with like Leo. Like, I think that I think that you you look at the performance in this movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think the reasonable expectation is this guy will be a Michael Caine, a huge movie star yeah. for the next yeah. sixty years. Yeah, and he is he isn't going to be someone who's going to star in movies or mm-hmm. be in movies. Sure, for the next sixty years, and he may win an Oscar one day, or for for you know, for God knows what. But it never happened the way it could have happened, which is unfortunate because it just never took off. Who who else can give in you the a way Jude, that yeah. yeah? Who else can give you a Jude Law performance? Yeah, you know, and and even just like even just looking at what he's done recently too, right? I mean, he was the villain in King Arthur, which was a huge Warner Brothers movie. So he, he was yeah. he was obviously he was a. Uh, uh, Watson in uh, in the Sherlock Holmes movies, which I think they were expecting maybe more of, but who knows? Well, that that actually that that solidified him as not a guy to me. You know, when you're playing when you're playing the second fiddle in a movie like that, sure. you're you're not the guy. You're the but, other guy. But now he's 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 Dumbledore. <laughs> well, he's also the young pope. 
So, <laughs> most pope. critically, he the is the pope. young pope. A- anyway, I mean, listen, I think that Jude Law. That is funny. He is it is pope. very. He's like got a very interesting career, and I think that uh, that. Um, uh, Tantamus Ripley really set it off. Then we should also talk a little bit about uh, Gwyneth and Kate Blanchett as well, who I'm I'm not convinced that they have as much to do as I would have liked. Like, I think there's shading and interesting layers to the characters, I would say more so to, to Marge than to uh, Meredith. But, and I do love how Marge becomes his nemesis by the end of the film. Like, they basically are, yeah. are uh, at each other's throats. Uh, she's a really interest. She puts in a really interesting performance, I think. Uh, and it's 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 unfortunate that uh, she doesn't have a ton to do in the first half of the movie, other than just kind of look pretty and be sweet. Yeah. And then when the turn happens, obviously kind, it changes things. They'll kind of witness everything. I think that it's, it's yeah. yeah. It's a weird thing to say, but it's important that someone's there to kind yes. of take stock of what's happening. Absolutely. Um, Kate Blanchett's character is really a cipher. It's really not. She loves it though. She's thinking, you can tell the Kate Blanchett's having. Well, fun. she's she's testing out that Catherine Hepburn accent a little bit. Little you know, bit. she's like, let me see if I can get this. Let me see if I can perfect this yeah, before I win an Oscar. Before for her. I have to, yeah. So she's. I like her character because there's a moment where you know she's she seems like a nice enough person, but when she yeah. realizes he's Dickie Greenleaf. Yeah, she's, she's in love with him. Yeah, or realizes when he yeah. lies and says he's Dickie Greenleaf. Yeah, but yeah. When, when, when Ripley lies and says he's Dickie Greenleaf, she has fallen for him. Yeah. And that moment without chinning her on the head. That's, that's getting their that's luggage. Be, that's before he even meets Ripley. Which so, is a green, Dickie, but I know what you meant. Sorry, yes, before yeah. he meets Dickie. So that moment more than anything solidifies, oh, this is why you'd want to be Dickie Greenleaf. Like – yeah. Not only are you rich, but like you say your name and the hot girl and on the on the boat just falls in love with you? Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. There's I will say though, one of and I mean I, I have issues with this movie, it's not perfect, but one of the things that always irks me every time is when he says I'm Dickie Greenleaf and the score, the music cue drives me mental. What it's like, does it say? like it's this like jaunty oh, piano because it's like, ooh, he's, he's being he's, he's lying. Being cute. Yeah. It's like I did that. It drives me crazy. He's roguish. I guess. No, I don't even know. Is he roguish? Um, Is he like a rapscallion? He's a little rapscallion. So let's – I honestly want to like live in the first act of this movie. It is intoxicating. So that's the reason I think this movie is misremembered. Or or I think that people remember this movie and they think beautiful scenery, beautiful people – um, and beautifully shot, but I don't think people remember what the movie is about. That's an interesting take. So that's I don't I don't disagree. I don't yeah. necessarily disagree with that. You're, so what you're what you're saying is that the first act is too successful at uh, what it's attempting to do. It's not. It's not anybody's fault. Mm-hmm. Like you, the idea is that this world is seductive. Mm-hmm. It's necessary that the world looks incredible. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think that in in that way that like Fight Club. Um, Begat actual fight clubs. Uh, yeah, that that you know people kind of misunderstand. Yeah, what this movie was trying to. Do. It, it, so I, you know, I think that. Yeah. Of course, you want to live in that moment, right? Of course, you do because they, they're yeah. that they're selling it to you so hard. But they're so successful at it. Yeah. I mean, and I think that. And by the way, 
we have to fall for it because we are Ripley. We have to roll with Ripley. Exactly. You know what I mean? And he so, but truthfully, like it's it's it. He makes Italy look like a Renaissance painting. It's you gorgeous. know what I mean? It's shot through a color palette filled with gold light and deep luscious blues, and it's inviting and it's warm. Uh, it 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 really makes fifties Italy look like the most wonderful place. Not only that, their lifestyle is ridiculous. It's amazing. Like they basically on that yacht and eat yeah, and eat delicious food. Yeah, I know. They have nothing to do. I know. But they're such Endless bourgeoisie fucking assholes at times, too. They are. There's one of my favorite lines in it is when um, he's making cappuccino and Ripley – Dickie's making cappuccino and Ripley sees the ring, the infamous ring that plays a very yeah. significant part in the movie. Um, and uh, and he turns to, to Marge who got him the ring and goes, I hope it wasn't cheap. And she's like, oh, it was. Like they're just such – they're such bourgeoisie yeah. assholes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just you – know, yeah. um, So uh, – yeah, let's sort of dive in to, to the plot a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love uh, when Dickie hooks up with um, my God, why am I drawing a blank on the on the girl's name that he uh, Silvana, um, and Ripley gets to Marge's before him, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and Marge says. Um, I laughed so hard I almost got a nosebleed. <laughs> and he says, Is that a good thing? And she's like, Shut up. Like it's it's just a great little couplet of him questioning her enjoyment of hanging out with Ripley. Mm-hmm. Like he won't even let her have that, which I think is really interesting. Um so basically what happens is uh Ripley goes to Italy, obviously, he meets up with them on the beach, uh, and he instantly sort of tries to ingratiate himself with them um and just sort of get his hooks in them. And in this scene that I just said with the nosebleed. We get a, a moment where uh, Ripley confesses to Dickie that he knows his father. He does a, a tremendous imitation of, of uh, Reborn. And I think uh, Dickie asks him something to the effect of, what do you do? What are your skills? Or what? He says, what are your skills? Something he like, says, uh, like impersonating people. Yeah, forgery. Forgery and, yeah. and all of that. And then, he, and then he does this amazing imitation of Dickie's father and says, uh, would you ever think about going to Italy, Tom? And... Uh, Something Ladies like and gentlemen, James Redmore just walked. Is, isn't he? <laughs> He's dead. Isn't he beyond? He's not here. The ghost of James Redmore just you, walked into our studio. Would you ever consider going to Italy, Tom, and bringing Dickie back here? I'd pay you a thousand dollars. And uh, Does that seemed like a lot of money to you. <laughs> I mean, in the fifties, was it? Did it? I don't know. Like, well, I think he gets multiple thousands of dollars, right? Because they he, start to milk the dad for money. My guess is that he continues to. Get I think them. he. I think the. I think the deal was. He does say, "I'll give you a thousand dollars," but yeah. I think the deal was, "I will pay for your expenses and to give you a thousand dollars." That sounds. That sounds right. So they did do yeah. that. Um, so he he gets there. Uh, oh, and you know, there's one thing I wanted to say about yeah, the, the novel. Mm-hmm. In the novel, Tom and Dickie are friends before this. Yeah, which is weird. It's weird. I wouldn't know how to. Uh, I wouldn't know how to make that work. I, yeah, it makes my. It makes my head hurt. Well, there's no inciting incident then, yeah, I know. and the inciting incident is super important. It's, yeah. You know, and and I I love the way the scene we're talking about right now. I love the way Tom just yeah. drops the facade because yeah. he has a different facade he wants to put on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a great moment yeah. uh, because Jude plays it really really well. He does because he's it, it's. He's it's, oddly charmed. He's oddly charmed until the reveal, and he's like, "What?" what? Yeah. Like it, it. It doesn't. He doesn't. It doesn't compute. And then he realizes, "Oh wait a second! I can play my dad, mm-hmm. and I can get money out of him, and we can do stuff with this." And I like this Tom guy just fine. Yeah, he's not mad at Tom. He's not mad at Tom. Um, so they become friends. It, 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 Sorry. In most movies, 
that moment is one of those two guys are lying to each, to, to the other. Mm-hmm. In this movie, those guys are totally honest with each other. Yeah. Very yeah. open about about the way they – about their intentions. Yeah. yeah. And, and Except they, Tom is being a little bit disingenuous, I think. What is it? Well, because he wants to stick around. But I don't think he's being honest with himself or with Dickie about why he wants to stick around. That's true. That's true. But but he, it's not some other ruse to try yeah, to yeah, screw yeah. someone over. No, no, no. no Tom yeah. really wants to spend time with Dickie. And yes. Dickie really wants to spend time with Tom. Yeah. And they're upfront about that. And I think that's an interesting starting off point. I, I absolutely agree. Given where this movie goes. I, I think – so at that point, um, Ripley pretends like he has to leave. They become friends very briefly, and then Ripley basically says, uh, "I gotta go. I can't keep doing. You know, I got. I, I'm, I've run out of cash, essentially." And that's when they decide to collude and and get the dad to give them more money, um, but not before they go to a jazz club mm-hmm. uh, in a different city. In a different city, San Remo. Uh, in San Remo, and uh, that's the scene I think when Ripley falls in love with Dickie. I think that's the scene when he's like Dicky, like playing the saxophone, and just it, it's it's a great scene mm-hmm. um, where they sing um, an Italian Something, song about, a, about, like about I'm an American, I'm an American. Yeah. Um, and it's a great scene. Uh, and he really, you can really see that he falls for him in that scene. <clears throat> it's also shortly thereafter where uh, Dicky suggests that Tom stay with them. And you have the first inkling that Ripley's a legit fucking creep, which is when he's standing in their bedroom and he's watching them through their window mm-hmm. as Dickie says he should stay with us. And Marge is like, no, I like him. And he starts repeating the way she says yeah. that in the mirror over and over no, and over again. I like no, I like him. And it just it's, – it's the moment when you're like, this guy's – a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure that we should we should be, you know, fully behind this guy. Well, I think at that moment I, I, I wrote in my notes, oh, it's a monster movie. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. at that moment yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh, these people are in danger. Yep. And you know, I yeah. I, I didn't remember what happened in this movie. I saw this movie in the theaters in probably early two thousand, but in ninety nine or sure. two thousand. Yeah. And all I remember was that Ripley killed somebody at yep. some point. Yep. I didn't remember when it happened. So, well, <laughs> And it's pretty deep in the movie. It's about an hour in. Earlier than I would have thought, though, right? Cause I, right, you thought I the whole thing was I th- that. Yeah, I yeah. think I thought that the movie was building up to this guy becoming a murderer. Sure. And I don't remember mm-hmm. the second half of the movie, or I didn't remember the second half of the movie. Yeah. So, uh, I, th- I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I feel like... Uh, one of the best scenes in the movie is the scene where uh, Tom is sizing up Dickie uh, when he's filling out the postcard. And he talks about how much you can read into a person by their handwriting. Yeah. And how. I've thought about that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and how, you know, his handwriting, how Dickie's handwriting kind of goes upwards, which is a, a vanity thing and all the various things. Um, it's, it's really interesting. It's also the scene where he talks about how, like, um, where uh, Dickie grabs Ripley's glasses and puts them on, and Ripley says, "You look like Clark Kent." And then he takes them off. I was like, "Now Superman!" Like th- it's just he's infatuated yeah. with this person, which I think is great. And and that he's, just continues. He's hitting on him as hard as a man can hit on another man in 1950. 
uh, I would actually say the, he, the, the chess the, bathtub, the bathtub scene. scene. It's the well, scene when he's sitting on him. That's when, he, that's when he thought he was in. <laughs> no, really, he's like, he's like, he's like I, I, I can get in there with you, right? Yeah, he thought he's, yeah. like, he's like, you like me too. I think that's what he's saying. Like, we're Basically, just, like, we're just, we're just like brothers. We're just gonna do it, right? Yeah, yeah. But I know. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a heartbreaking scene too, because that's as close as I imagine a person in 1950. Could come out to another person and be smacked down. Yeah, it should also be said too that Jude plays that scene beautifully because you can tell he's tempted. Okay, I, 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 he's he's a little. I think he is. He's. I wouldn't. He's obviously not there because it doesn't happen. But I think that he's percolating and actually like chewing it over. It's interesting because you know the the analog in uh, Brokeback is a scene that turns into a fight. Yeah. And then, and then becomes sex, the yeah. sex and the, yeah, yeah. And the, but you know, it just I, that's just the, the the way I guess different people would deal with that situation. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but yeah, I think that the movie then has its first turn or the moment when Ripley loses the plot or or the thread, and he no longer can control the situation, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. enters the movie. And that's the moment when Ripley's like, oh, fuck, I don't have this guy. Um, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, who gives a tremendous performance, he is phenomenal in this he movie. He almost, he is so flamboyant, it's like he's mocking him to his face. Yeah. You know? He spends the he's whole such movie. such a dandy, really. But. He really is. Yeah. Uh, he's very, very flamboyant. But he's also, brilliant. like, vicious, a fucking vicious person that you just... I mean, his first line is, "Don't you just wish you could fuck every woman just once?" Don't like, you, it's he's just an is awful. Is there anything human. worse than being with some people you are friends with and having a friend from another <laughs> part of their <laughs> yeah. life come in and yeah. throwing and, and yeah. throwing around what they deem to be, yeah. you know, comfortable conversation? And you're like, it's it's, it's so uncomfortable. It's, it's the so worst. Gross. Oh. Yeah. Having yeah, someone like and that. He, and he is so – he's a bull in a china shop. Yeah. So there's no way for, for Ripley to really corral him. Um, so Freddie Miles, uh, played by mm-hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman, shows up and essentially turns Dickie against Tom. Um, and, and, and whether or not it's uh, calculated, I don't know, but it certainly feels like it at times. Um, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is clearly enjoying playing a scumbag. Like he's just relishing it. Uh, the look he gives Tom when they're at the record store mm-hmm. is is literally the the, uh, <laughs> the most silent "get the fuck out of here" as I've ever seen. Where yeah. it's just like, "What you don't belong here." Yeah, you can sniff him out, and he smacks the door shut on the on the record um, listening booth. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is, I think, ultimately one of the the. More the saddest moments in the movie, I think, uh, which is when Tom, when Dickie catches Tom dressed up in his clothes in his bedroom, dancing and listening to music and singing, and dressed in like one of Dickie's tuxedos and looking mm-hmm. at himself in the mirror, and it's the it's the only time that we've seen Tom kind of be himself, and he's reprimanded for it almost yeah. immediately. Um, I also just think the way Freddie says. Tommy, 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 Tommy. It's just, he's just such a fucking, <laughs> Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. He's just the worst. Um, then I think one of my favorite scenes is uh, on the boat. It should be said that Tom never swims. In the whole movie. In the whole movie. And I don't know if it's because maybe Ripley doesn't know how to swim. 
mm-hmm. which is possible. Um, but he never swims. He's always on the boat. He's always observing. It's the most voyeuristic performance where mm-hmm. he's just watching a lot of it. Anyway, uh, Freddie, Dickie, Tom, and Marge go on the boat, and Freddie and uh, Dickie are swimming, and um, Marge comes up to they're Tom. Kind of, they're, they're kind of horsing around. Kind of horsing around. Yeah. And Marge says about Dickie to Tom, when you have his attention, you feel like you're the only person in the world. That's why everyone loves him. And that's just the boys. She's aware of the fact that he's a philandering asshole. Like yeah. she's, She gets it. And you know that she knows. And it's kind of sad. It's, well, it's very sad. It's her, <clears throat> her heart is breaking through the whole movie. Through the whole movie. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Because um, she knows she, he's not hers. I, right. I, I, I get the impression that she feels that way. Right. We, but there, the, that's true, but also she's, he's more hers than he is anybody else's. Yes. And she does take some ownership over him yeah. in the end when she's yes. the only one yes. who sees Tom for what he is. Absolutely, she's the only, and, and, and no one listens to her. And she cares. She she Absolutely. she cares. It's Absolutely, not, yeah, yeah. Um, she also has, I think, one of the better lines in the movie where she says, "Tell me, tell me, why is it that when men play, they always play at killing each other?" Yeah, um, which I think is just that's what I a, thought you were going to say. Which yeah. is also one of the best lines in the movie. Um, and then Ripley watches Dickie and Marge have sex, which is really fucking weird. And Freddie catches him. And Freddie catches him. him. How's the peeping, Tom? Yeah, how's the peeping? How's the peeping? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's the best. Um, so then we we come to uh, I think the real turning point in the movie. Well, one of the turning points, which is Savannah's death. Mm-hmm. That's the first time that Dickie has actual consequences. So explain. The, so basically, Dickie is uh, Dickie is having an affair. I don't know if you call it. I guess it's an it's affair, an affair. Uh, with a with an Italian. Um, I guess she's a I don't know local, local. Uh, and uh, she gets pregnant, and then she kills herself. She drowns herself in uh, whatever body of water this part of Italy is uh, bordering on. The Mediterranean, but, sure. Yeah, I don't. Maybe. I do not know geography. Got to be right. That or I, I, I don't think it's got to be anything. Lake Como. <laughs> That's the extent of my bodies of water in Italy. So uh, either way, she she drowns herself. She dies, and this is the moment. When there are consequences for Dickie's actions, mm-hmm. and I would argue that he's probably never had any of those before. I think that he's probably been able to do whatever the hell he wants with his life, and this is the first Definitely. moment where uh, there's consequences, and he feels. I don't think it's remorse. I think it's anger. I think it's anger at the fact that he gets very upset about the fact that the ambulance comes so late because you know they're in Italy, and I guess they didn't have. I, I, I don't know. It it felt like that was the one thing. That he felt he could say and get upset about, sure, sure, as a quote unquote bystander, sure, right? Um, It was it was a very weird thing, very off putting to me. Well, he's he's yeah. This is when the character gets really right. It was super off putting that he's screaming about the ambulance, but but I think I understood what was happening. I I think he just he wanted to rage about something, and that's what a random person could say. Right? He rages out. He kicks over a a record player. He says, "You know, why is it so fucking primitive here?" And then there's a really telling moment where Tom turns to Marge and says, "It's okay. I'll go check on him." She's like, "No, I will. (laughs) Like, I'm actually his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you would think that you're going to go and talk to him." Um, so this is the moment when Dickie starts to really pull away from Ripley it's the moment when he says we can't keep milking my dad for money and 
we've had a good run. Yeah, you should go home. You should go home now. Yeah. Um, and Ripley's not really having it. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's a wake-up call. It shakes him, and it, it, it forces him to catch Ripley on his bullshit. <clears throat> um, now the, the, the infamous boat scene, um, which was apparently a nightmare to make. Okay. Um, both actors got incredibly seasick. They both were very ill during the filming of this scene. Jude Law broke a rib during the making of this scene. Yeah, I read that. Um, it, it, Hopefully they shot in sequence, and then that was the end of it. <laughs> well, my guess is they didn't. Yeah, well, uh, you never it's, know. <laughs> it's, it looks beautiful, and it's a great scene. Yeah. And it's it's you know one of the best scenes in the movie. I, I, Julie, but, I didn't remember it, so I was shocked. Really? Yes, I didn't remember it. <laughs> did you really see this movie? I did. I remember seeing it and not I, – I, I said this. I remember seeing it and not really liking the movie. And, yeah, and I know. That's why I was like, I think you're going to like it this time. Well, I loved it, but I remember seeing it and I guess just 17 years old and, you know, really being into Good Will Hunting and, and Saving Private Ryan and – um, not being know. into this performance, you weren't alone. Most of America didn't seem to be. Well, yeah, so it just this felt like Matt Damon was mine, you know, in some way, and yeah. this was not something that I understood, and not something that interests yeah. me. And I've told, I've said before, my disdain for movies shot in Europe. So, um, it's <laughs> what is that? Can you explain that? Not, to me? not a is movie, this, not like, a movie like this, not a movie like this. I don't like. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Can I, I explain it to you? If we had, well, not just to me, to our listeners, to our listeners, because there's going to be a lot of movies that aren't we taking place a, in America. You know, if we had a movie like that, like, like, like the movie that's so, like, a movie that's so quintessentially boring that some people like is a movie like Spy Game, um, that just bores the life out of me. I'll just sit there and not even think. Or the Bourne movies, frankly. Like, I'll, I, I, I will. So you don't like spy movies? No, we said this before. I don't like. Well, but you, okay. I don't. I don't like spy movies. I say they take place in Europe, but you made the point accurately that most spy movies don't take place in America, and and they just don't really they, they bore me. They just there's something about it that I find impenetrable. Um, That's interesting. And it go it, so it's not necessarily the truth when it comes to foreign films, but a lot of movies that take place in non in the in, 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 oh my God. in okay. mainland Europe, okay. so excluding the UK. Okay, I find someone impenetrable. Especially, especially expats or or tourists. Um, don't know why. That's weird. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't like cheese either. So yeah, that's. I mean, <laughs> I mean we're not going to get into that. Uh, yeah. uh, maybe it'll maybe it'll naturally maybe it'll come happen. up in a movie. Well, it's um, simply irresistible. Maybe. So, so we're in the boat, uh, and it's the moment when Dickie says to Tom, "We're done," and Tom says. Well, you know, I'm going to come back on my own steam. You know, I'm going to come back with with some money, and maybe we can hang out. And uh, you know, I'll get my place, and you'll get your place, and we can be at my place, we can be at your place. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling like we've run our course." And uh, he basically says something along the lines, and I, I wish I could remember the actual dialogue, but basically he says, uh, "Well, you're I'm marrying Marge and he's like you're marrying Marge he's like yeah I love Marge he's like well you love me you're not marrying me he's like no Tom I don't love you and it's just sort of a a very telling moment when it just gets very weird and then Ripley lets him have it and he just says you know you're chasing your dick around is it the drums or the sax like what is it what is it what do you want to do like you're just you're full of shit and you know we're brothers and hey and there's just all this sort of like he just really puts it all out there and says you know I think you love me and you can't come to grips with it and blah 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 
and it it snaps Dicky, and he starts smacking him around and says, "You know, what are you secondhand mooch? You know, wh- mm-hmm. who the fuck are you?" Uh, and Ripley lashes out and he hits him with one of the oars of the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he meant to kill. Dickie. It doesn't seem like he meant to kill him. He hit him. He hit him. Um, he like lacerates his face. He cuts his face, he- and Dicky goes. Batshit. Yeah. And then it and becomes then self-defense. Kind of come, yeah, I totally felt that, that it did seem like self-defense. Right. At that point. But then he kills Dicky. He it seems that he crushes him with he be- beats him to death with this yeah. war. He looks amazing, by the way. That makeup job when he gets hit in the face with that's that. Awful. It's amazing. to do that that's the real Jared Leto. I wanted, you know, I wanted to destroy something beautiful moment. Like I've never <laughs> seen I've no really a, a beautiful face just like destroyed, destroyed. like that. Yeah. He becomes a monster. Yeah. Um, you have a beautiful aerial shot or overhead shot of uh, Ripley laying with the dead Dicky, you know, and just sort of embracing him in this boat. Uh, it's really sad. Uh, oh, that's a crazy shot. Yeah. That's a crazy shot. The, this movie's filled that with. That messed me up a little bit, that shot. Actually. There's a lot of shots that I'm going to talk about yeah, getting deeper laying, into it. Laying with a dead body. Is something that I can't get my head around. Yeah, uh, it's a really. It, it, there's a lot of really beautiful imagery, especially mm-hmm. from this point on, where you're seeing duality mm-hmm. really manifested in the photography and how Ripley is dealing with being two people and having to pretend to be two people. Um, so uh, at this point, the palette changes pretty significantly as well. The weather changes. Mm-hmm. It's not sunny anymore. It's all very gray. It's all very gloomy. There's lots of rain and cloud cover for obvious reasons because everything's sort of shifting. Um, Kate Blanchett comes into it more prominently at that point. It's one of two totally coincidental. The second of three totally coincidental yeah, bump-ins. Where do they bump into each other? I can't remember the, this at this moment. Uh, is this the opera? Or they, they go to the they opera. They go to the opera together. So it's before the opera. I don't remember where they bump into each other. But, but the but one thing do. about it is there is something about like the world of expats. Yes, yes, they yes. Would Americans in, in Italy. They yeah. would bump into each other. It yeah. didn't bother me that much, but they, they did go to that well a lot. They do, they do it a couple yeah, times. I, I think that it's because, you know, I, I actually do wish there was more Meredith in this movie. I do feel like she gets short shrift because she, as to your point, gets jammed into plot more than character. Mm-hmm. She serves; she's more of a, a turnkey well, to yeah. plot, and she's it's, you need that character at the end, absolutely, in order to get your ending. Yes. Um, so uh, I, I want to say that the opera sequence in general is a is a kind of a trope. Yeah, we see it a lot in a lot of you movies. You do, you do. Um, and uh, it, but I'll sh- tell you, I'll tell you, it never bothers me. It doesn't bother me really either, yeah. and I actually think it works quite well in this, even if it does feel like whatever's happening on that stage is going to mirror whatever our character is going through. Did you look it up, that opera? I didn't. Did you? It's called it, – it I, I did. It's called Eugene something, um, it, like, a, like a not particularly important opera. But Okay. Either way, uh, I do really love the scene, and I think it's – Eugene Onigen. Sure. Um, don't know anything else about it, but there is a beautiful shot in it that I'm sure you remember. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, there's this cascading swoop over the crowd as Tom is watching one man shoot another man, I'm assuming his friend or what we're led to believe is his friend, in order to sort of trigger what Tom's going through. And it swoops across the entire audience right into a close up of of Damon in uh, in the box. Yeah. 
you know, it's a beautiful shot. John Steele did a tremendous job shooting this movie. Obviously, it's really, really beautifully done. Um, then Tom breaks up with Meredith, basically. He says to her, you know, we don't see him break up with her. We actually catch them right in the moment post-breakup. Uh, where they're having that carriage scene together. Well, they leave. So right, right. He like, says, like, let's kinda, get out of here. Kind of importantly, in, oh, I'm sorry, you're during right. intermission, yes, 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 sorry. he runs into Marge with a friend that was referenced before, Peter Smith. Smith Kingsley. Peter Smith Kingsley. The which, most British name. The most British name. <laughs> played by Jack Davenport, the second yeah. most British name. But um, they... Yeah. Uh, and she, Tom like quickly takes his rings off and he swoops his hair the other he way. Becomes and he, Tom. he becomes Tom. Yeah, so they, she does. She references three men that he that, that Dickie is close with. Yes. I believe it was Tom, Freddie, and Peter Smith Peter Kingsley. 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 So she's at the, the opera, opera with, Peter, with yeah. Peter Smith Kingsley. Yep. And um, that's when he says to Kate Blanchett, let's get out of here. Yeah. Because she's got to get the fuck out of there because he's yes. afraid of getting caught. So he takes off. He breaks up with her in the hopes of severing that uh, that limb of Dickie's. Of not sort of, you know, it's a way of keeping Dickie at bay is by getting rid of Meredith a little bit. For the bit. moment. Yeah. For the moment. Um, she has a great line after he breaks up with her where she says, can we meet tomorrow? Uh, I'd hate for this to be the way that we separate. And she says, you should always save pain for the daylight, which I think is mm. a, a great line too. Um, it should be said that at this point, I'm a little unclear as to what Dickie's, or sorry, what Tom's end game is. Me too. I was going to say that. <laughs> like, I'm sort of thinking to myself, how long do you think you can keep this up for? Like, get out of Italy. If you want to be Dickie Greenleaf, like, go somewhere else. And It's a big world out there. Right? I, that's, my, that's my one big, big problem question. with yeah. the movie. Yeah. It does seem a little aimless as if he's just waiting to be caught at the end. Which I do think is part of the tragedy of this. I do think that this is a charade he knows can't go on forever, but he's just trying to enjoy it while he can. But that's yeah, not enough. It didn't feel that way to me. It, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, viewed through the lens of um, sexual identity, Yes, I get and I believe that he wants to be Dickie and not Tom. Yeah, right? I agree He wants that. to put Tom behind him. But, you know, kind of viewed through the plot mechanics – lens mm-hmm. it just didn't, didn't make sense I, to me that was my only beef with it too but, it does get a little better for me when we get over a couple bumps mm-hmm. the biggest one being freddie's death sort of mm-hmm. it's around that area where i'm like you're buying christmas gifts for yourself <laughs> i don't really understand yeah. what's going on you're just kind of it's weird there's a weird little sort of 15 or 20 minutes where all i was thinking about is what you were just saying and there is you know i don't know how much it's such a ridiculous point but i don't know how much you've heard about serial killers not much but um it is it, it is something <laughs> ernie nods ernie, and, ernie's like i've read a lot of it is, it is a, it is a thing that serial killers <laughs> will return to the scene of their crimes yes sure serial sure, sure. Killers, they, they'll often be a crowd around sure. a serial killer crime mm-hmm. and in that crowd the guy will be there mm-hmm. so that is a thing that you know he might not he might I know just what you're have, saying. He might just have this draw or this pull towards this area, this world right. that he. Well, I think know, that but, I think to the, I yeah. think you just sort of nailed it with the world thing. I think that this place makes him think about the person that he loves, and it's this. It's trying to relive in the moments of this happiness. Right. Do you know what I mean? Which which I think sort of makes sense, but again. We're both saying the same thing, right? Yeah. We both bumped on this a little portion here. Um, at that point, at this point, it's just where are we going with? Where this? are we going? Yeah. So, uh, Freddie Miles shows up at uh, at Tom's apartment slash Dickie's apartment, and he basically says, "What the fuck is going on here? Where's Dickie? I don't get it." 
you look a lot like Dickie now, unless you've changed your religion, because I guess Dickie was Jewish? Maybe. Anyway, Tom I don't want to get too much into that one. I don't really know what that's all about, but we'll just just move past that. Um, And Freddie starts questioning Tom about Dickie's whereabouts, and he starts tapping on his piano in a very sort of uh, Bernard Herrmann sort of Hitchcockian thing, which is really great. Uh, And then he kills Freddie in a really heavy-handed way with a bust of someone's head. It's Jude Law's head. It's not Jude Law's head. I'm kidding. But it might as well be. Yeah, the blood. The (laughs) The blood. blood It's exactly like the blood. It's my least favorite part of, one of my least favorite parts of this movie. The, 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 just quickly, the, Mm -hmm. the two things that, that Freddie, makes Freddie really realize is one, Tom Ripley plays piano and Jude Law does not. Does not. And two, the maid calls him Dickie, <laughs> which is a pretty, pretty big, big giveaway. Pretty big giveaway. Ebert has a great thing in his review, which I'm sure you read. I think I may have read. Yeah, I did read. Where it. he talks about how it's a, it's like a hair away from being a Marx Brothers routine in terms of yeah. the of the whole like upstairs, downstairs, look Dicky, and it's just like what is happening? I think he. Yeah, I know that that was rough, but I think I think he liked it. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think I felt like well, it could have been a little smoother, but it's bumpy. But it is. It gets you where you got to go. I'm not a big fan of saying like, well, it kind of sucked, but the movies that it was paying homage to kind of sucked, but it does feel <laughs> somewhat Hitchcockian Sorry. the way that yeah. went down. It, and then Absolutely. you keep going Hitchcockian because this scene with the inspector. It's fantastic. It's, it, it's amazing. It's great. it's great. And it pulls the movies back onto the rail. The movies back onto the rail. Well, that's the th- I think that this Freddie Miles beat here, this murder, I think part of why maybe it doesn't work as well is because I don't think Minghella wants you to think he's a murderer. So he's trying to sort of kind of navigate these waters a little bit so that you don't think he's a full-on, uh, you know, sport killer. killer. Sport killer. Yeah. Although, we'll get to my favorite scene, which is coming up, which does tip into that arena a little bit. But I do feel like in this area of killing Freddie and all of that, there's just a weirdness that gets a little, like... The, it gets a little rickety around here, but the detective shows back up, and conveniently, we don't see how Tom gets rid of Freddy's body, which is an interesting thing. We don't see the end result. We, 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 see, like, we see him walking to Freddy's car like he's a drunk. Like just drives it, and then and then yeah. he just like drives off off screen. You're yeah. like, where's he going? What's that? anyway? Uh, it's interesting. Not, not the best move, uh, but it so it happens. Um, I think I want to Miguel talk, I, hated this sequence as much as we did. I think, I think, I, I think he, he just did. wanted it he over. Wanted it over. Yeah. He tried to get rid of it as quickly the, as the possible. Point, you did need to kill Freddy. Absolutely. But they could have done it better. They could have right. done it. Um, what are your thoughts about what Tom is doing to Marge? What is he doing? The mind fuckery that he is putting Marge through <laughs> in terms of pretending as though Dickie's still alive? Oh, you mean, oh, sorry, yes. Like I, the, I was watching it this time being like, Dear God, man, let her off the fucking hook. Like, why are you doing this to her? And then he he, he basically is playing like some sitcom routine where you're trying to play two both of twins. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, I know. It's, it's like <laughs> yeah. you're trying to be both twins. And he yeah. does, it's like, yeah. does it because, yeah. you, you know. I, he does break up with her, but it takes a beat. And he's really playing with her. Mm-hmm. It's It's. So basically, he does this sort of back and forth thing. Uh, I never thought I didn't think about it from her perspective at all. Maybe that's my fault. I Maybe thought, that's a male gaze shit, but like I never thought about it from her perspective. I thought about it that it 
it, it made perfect sense to me that that's what he would have to do, right? Given his situation, and far be it for him to like sure. actually take into account the feelings of of this woman while he's like basically <laughs> on the run, right? So it, you know what it actually made me think of, and we keep we keep referring to this movie, which I do think is interesting. Uh, it had a very Marla Singer quality to it. Mm-hmm. It had a very much of, and whenever I watch Fight Club, I just think. <laughs> this poor fucking woman. <laughs> like what? Like Ed Norton. Is I can't just, wait to do that movie. It's gonna be great. Yeah, um, it almost but, should be our last movie. But this is sort of like that scene when she's outside the apartment and she can see Dickie's shadow under the yeah. what she thinks is Dickie's yeah. shadow, and uh, she has again one of my favorite lines where she says, "I was gonna, I was, I was going to say I would count to three, but I won't count on you anymore," mm-hmm. which is just. A great line, yeah, and that basically only Gwyneth could deliver the right way because she delivers it in this really interesting. I won't count on you, and like, she puts all the it's all the emphasis on the end there. People, I mean, I, I understand that she became goop Gwyneth or <laughs> she whatever, or like goop. goop, or she became like conscious uncoupling. But sure, and we don't. I almost feel like we're avoiding talking about her a little bit. A little bit. She's great in the movie, though. She fucking she she was so good mm-hmm. for this period of time. Absolutely, no one else was doing what she. I mean, except except Kate Blanchett. Like these two <laughs> these two actresses. Yeah. Yeah. Kate Blanchett obviously has a far greater range and yes. is a more interesting actress. Um, yes, you know when you t- when you look at the breadth of her career. Mm-hmm. But Gwen- Gwyneth's highs are so high and mm-hmm. so natural, and I loved her so much mm-hmm. in this and other movies from this period. She's fantastic, um, in it. and I loved when she came back in Contagion. I love her in the. Iron Man movies. Yeah. I, I really do. She's great I really, yeah, yeah, I really root for her as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and I, I get it. Like I get that. Like the lifestyle stuff drives people nuts. But and I, it, I it does. You do get the it. impression that she's not really, you know, yes. swinging for the fences anymore. She's just sort of like, cool. Where's my mark? How much am I getting paid? Like I don't. I don't feel like she's doing performances like Kate Blanchett, for instance. And it's not a fair comparison. But I don't get the impression that that Gwyneth is looking. Get me that fucking great script. Like I don't. I don't necessarily feel as though she's striving for that anymore, um, which isn't a judgment. I get. I, I understand it. Anyway, uh, I'd, I'd like to see her try one more time. One of the shots, and I'm going to talk about a couple more shots. But one of the shots that I love is when Dicky, when Tom is typing Dicky's suicide note. There's this amazing focal pull where the keys. You can actually see the keys mm-hmm. that he's typing. It's really fantastic. Yeah. Um, Another shot that I love. That was a, that was a brilliant story move. Yeah. The suicide note. Yeah, it really it gets, him, yes. it gets him out of it. It was brilliant. Yeah, it, and it's that's when his plan, if you will, gets back on the rails. Was, to, yeah, I mean, is the moment where you're like, oh, okay, he's got a plan now. Well, yeah, he really. seems a little rudderless for for a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the shots that that I actually read an article that talked that had a whole thing about how brilliant the shot was is the piano keyboard. So before he kills Dickie, mm-hmm. he puts all of his luggage, hides all of his luggage, writes this suicide note, and then closes the, the piano keyboard. And the shot, you see sort of the Siamese twins separation of Ripley's head as it actually parts into two, which is, again, really obviously allegorical of what's going on. But it's, just a, it's a really beautiful shot that sort of sums up the whole movie for all intents and purposes. Um, so... Uh, Let's talk a little about Peter Smith Kingsley. Yeah. Um, did you feel like he kind of falls for Tom real quick? Like that relationship doesn't really have a, a 
a latency period. It's just sort of like I think it's one scene. I think it's what do you mean? I think there's the, I think there's one scene of courtship. I'm not even sure it's courtship. There, I mean, the, Peter Kingsley's like in love with him already. He's already like putting his arms around yeah. him. And I kind of wish that we had a, a little bit of build up there, but I mean, listen, it's nitpicky. But anyway, I don't disagree. But at that point in the movie, you're rushing to the finish. Yeah, no, we're definitely we're in the we're in the the final stretch of yeah. what's about to happen in the movie. Uh, so Tom moves to Venice to be with Peter Smith Smith Kingsley. He finds an apartment, mm-hmm. um, and Marge comes to visit. And it's at that point that Marge fucking hates him. Mm-hmm. At that point, you can tell that she can't she's stand him figured, anymore. She's she thinks she she thinks she's figured it out. Do you think that she's that far ahead? I don't know that she's there yet. I think she just is sick of Ripley. Okay. And that he's right. always around and that something's up. She, I don't think she killed Dickie at that point. She I don't think she thinks he killed Dickie at that point. Um, okay. Because you don't get your I, arguably the best scene in the movie if she does. You mean the Philip Baker Hall scene? No. Oh, so go ahead. Anyway, um, so uh, we have this scene where – Marge confronts Tom. He's having a bath. Mm-hmm. They went drinking that night before. She's staying over at Ripley. She knocks on the door of the bathroom and says, Tom, I need you to come here right now. Yeah. And she says, why do you have Dickie's rings? And it's at that moment that he's like, guess I got to kill Marge. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's Basically, he feels as though he has no choice. Uh, so he shuts the door. And he looks for anything in the bathroom that he can find that could potentially be a weapon. And he finds a straight razor for shaving. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's the best scene in the movie. I think that it's scary and it's tragic and it's weirdly romantic. And it's him slowly walking towards her as she's backing towards the front door. And it's just, he says something to her. It's so creepy. He says, I love you, Marge. And he says, write it on a piece of paper, put it in your purse for a rainy day. Tom loves me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just fully sociopathic in yeah, this scene. He's lo- and then, like, and this he's, is where he's lost it. And he's obviously clutching this razor in his, in his pocket. In his pockets of a, of a terry cloth robe. Yep. And he cuts his hand, he cuts his thumb, and you see it bleeding through yeah. the white terry cloth robe. And it's, it's just beautifully, the music, all of it, suspenseful, it's... This is the movie sort of at its – when all the things are working, I think. Yeah, it's a good scene. It's weirdly a good scene for Tom too yes. because it's obviously his first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. his first time really trying on his sociopath. And we haven't talked about it yep. and I haven't done enough research to really talk about it. But <laughs> there is a, there's a book series about Tom Ripley. Mm-hmm. This isn't just They're turning a talented, into a TV series. They, it was a TV series in the fifties. Then there was a movie in nineteen sixty, mm-hmm. and they are. There, but there's this is a character that that this is a character that 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 has a has a life that went beyond just the talent of Mister Ripley. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting about that to me mm-hmm. is it's it's so um, ahead of its time. Absolutely. To follow, I don't even think he's really. I think he's a villain, right? I think the, I think that basically you you take your Walter Whites and your 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 um, Tony Sopranos and Don Drapers; uh, th- those guys are, are anti heroes or tragic heroes. Mm-hmm. But Tom Ripley's a villain. 
Um, yeah, full no, on villain. Villain. No redeeming qualities there. Um, no. And very unusual. It's very unusual to have a, a villain be your main character, be be your be your way in. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, just something kind of worth noting. But I think the idea is a proper villain yeah. would not cut his hand no. by clenching the razor because he'd be cooler than that. He mm-hmm. would have done it before. This is his first time. And he doesn't really know. Trying his villain shoot. Trying, f- full villain. Like yeah. this is – I'm doing The it. mask is off yeah. and I'm doing it. And she's great in the scene too by the way. Yeah. She's playing it really well. Mm-hmm. She's ch- – her teeth are chattering. She's she's playing it as a mixture of, of – I mean I wish that I could sort of exp- – she's terrified but she also gives Marge backbone. Like it's not like she's – a damsel in distress. Like, I think I, she thinks she can take him. I kind of think she does too. Like, I do. But she's also like, I don't believe a single word that you've said. Like, she's her teeth are chattering. She wants to fight him. She wants to take him down. Yeah. Like, which which makes it more than what I think it could have been in, in lesser hands. I think it would have been much more of a damsel in distress. A hopefully someone comes and saves her sort of thing. And ultimately, Peter Smith mm-hmm. Kingsley does show someone up does. at the at the right moment. Um, and. Uh, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's just a great scene. No, it's um, a great scene, and it's and it's ultimately the the climax of the movie, for all intents and purposes. Because from that point on, it's kind of denouement. Uh, as we re- we quickly sort of we got Philip Baker Hall showing up, who we will talk about in Magnolia, Magnolia and in a brutal performance, a great performance. Oh, in a, Jimmy and a, just Gator, a, he's the best. Jimmy, uh, I don't know if he's the he's best. the worst guy in the movie. Okay, cool. <laughs> but <laughs> he's, sure um, that we're on the same page that Jimmy Gator is no, no. a monster. But uh, Phil Baker Hall is just he's tremendous in it. Tremendous. He's just one of those guys, like a lot like Phil Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Just only they could do what they do. Yep, they're so real. I love yep. them both. And it's it's weird because I was thinking I love his performance. I hate what happens in that scene. Why? Because it's Deus Ex Machina. Like, like Marge, yeah, it's a Hitchcock fi- movie. Marge had figured it out, right? Sure. And I get that no one believes her. Sure. And I get that part. But he didn't really earn this this getting away scot-free thing. He didn't really earn no. James Rebhorn no. just kind of randomly deciding no. that, you know, you I were agree. such a good friend to my, to my son. Here's half his inheritance. So it's a, it, it's, yes. But wouldn't you say also that, I mean, two things come to mind. The first is, you know, classic films of that period did tend to have a big wrap-up scene where someone sort of like barfs up a bunch of expo. That's okay, and, and and which isn't great, but it happens. Happened in Eyes Wide Shut too. It happened in Eyes Wide Shut too. But this movie then rips the rug right out from underneath you and says, "Yeah, Ripley won, but now he's dead inside, and he had to kill the one person that actually loved him." Yeah. So it's it, it's well, Ripley won, but we all lost. Because now the you know, you know cycles I mean? on the list, the cycles on, right? And and also just you know, right, uh, so anyway, let, so anyway, let's talk about uh, the last. Scene. Well, let's let's very briefly just talk about the fact that Marge, the scene where Marge says, "I know you did it, mm-hmm. I know you did," it, and she she hits him and says, "I know you did it," and then they drag her away is heartbreaking because she's fucking right, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also because if it was a man, they probably would have listened to them. I believe. I think part of it is definitely you just oh you're being a you know that's actually, very patronizing. That's the sexist. only explanation for it, but it does work. It does work, yeah. and it's awful. Yeah. Um, there's a couple amazing moments prior to the moment that we're going to talk about, which is the end of the movie. But the moment when Tom sees Meredith, he knows his fate is sealed. That's the I think the moment where he's like, "Boy, let's make a decision." He. He could always kill her. 
No, why not? Yes, it's he has true. to make it's a decision. True. It's so, true. He could have killed her. It's true. So, you're right. I think that, but that's also he chose to be straight, yes, as opposed to being yes. That's exactly gay. the point. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, right. But it's it's the look on his face. He's so crestfallen. He's like seriously. I yeah. like. Uh, and well, that's the third you know, of three random run-ins with Meredith. But the last of of this random. But man, but you know, again, there's only so much to do when you're. Yeah. When you trapped have, on a boat, when you well, I mean, there, she has a line in the movie. I can't remember what it is, but you're only comfortable with people who have it and despise it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a very it's very apt. Yeah. Uh, so now we're at the final scene of the movie. Tom has decided, uh, or I mean, he has decided, but we won't know what he's decided. He goes down into the into his room with Peter Smith Kingsley, and he has a tremendous. Maybe I, I think if there was going to be an Oscar clip. It would have been from this monologue that he gives where he says, uh, I thought it would be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody, yeah. which is that's the movie in one line. And it's beautifully delivered and it just sort of summarizes everything that this movie is trying to say. Um, and then you have the, the, the truly heartbreaking last scene where Ripley's punishment is that he has to kill the one person who loves him for who he really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he o- talks – Over a – over a voiceover, over a voiceover. Peter Spink, Smith Kingsley saying all the, the things that are great about him. Tom yeah. is talented. Yeah. Tom is Tom is beautiful. beautiful. Tom, yeah. Tom is Tom is loved. Yeah. Uh, and he talks about in this monologue. He talks a little bit about how uh, we all have our dungeons. We all have our basements. We all have our things where everything is trapped. It's very uh, a lot of allusions to hell. It seems, and that I'm going to be stuck there forever. Um, and the final shot is we hear him strangling Peter Smith Kingsley as crying. As he's saying, Tom is crushing as me. Thomas Tom is crushing me. me. Tom is crushing me. Uh, and he's like, Tom, Tom. And Tom is crying as he strangles this man. Uh, and then we have a magnificent final shot of all of the reflections in the closet mm-hmm. that Tom is trapped in for all of eternity, basically. Not showing <laughs> the murder is the best. Yeah. I, I like, yeah. nine times out of ten, I think it's a, not a great move, yeah. But but if you can think, if you can come up with an elegant way to to convey everything you need to convey in that, like they did, it's it's, it's really gorgeous. It's now, really. I wanted to, to yeah. say one more thing. You remember what the first line of the movie was? Uh, if I could erase everything, including my name, something along those lines. Well, I think it was something like, if I could do it again, I never would have borrowed that jacket. I. Yeah, I think it's somewhere between what we're both saying. What because point? it does say it all started with a jacket, and the jacket is started, from Princeton. Yes. Yeah. So my point is, I think yeah. he regrets everything. Absolutely. Um, and I think he thinks that this is just one of those, referencing a Gwyneth movie, one of those sliding doors moments. Where <laughs> it's a great movie. It was that one moment yeah. Yeah. that yeah, he yeah. had this opportunity to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. If he didn't take Redborn up or he'd never yeah. borrow the jacket or yeah. to play the piano he would have just yeah. continued to be small time hustler Tom Ripley yeah. who can't really get well, shit it's, done it's like when you see at the very beginning of the movie he borrows a jacket from somebody that's how he obviously meets uh, James Rayboner and all of that if you look at the guy in the driver's seat that he borrows the jacket from it looks like the guy has either broken his wrist or sprained his wrist or broken yeah. his arm or something and you think to yourself had that guy not broken his arm this entire story doesn't exist Yeah, and it's it's those little I think he thinks turns. that, right? Absolutely. I don't know if I think that. 
I don't know if I think. I mean, I, I know this story wouldn't exist, but I don't know if Tom wouldn't have gone down this path. He would have found his Dickie Greenleaf at some point. Maybe he yeah. would have. Maybe wouldn't have. Yeah. But it's it's an interesting thing yeah. to, to ponder. I mean, I think that the movie uh, it's a touch long. I think it's probably it's got, it's got it's got a little bit of fat in there. And watching it this time around, I certainly felt that. I think that we talked about the Freddie Miles stuff. I think that that stuff could have been could have been squeezed a little bit. But it moves at a pretty quick clip, uh, and it, it's doing a lot. And I think yeah. that I think that people, to your point, kind of disregarded it as either lifestyle porn of just like really right. beautiful like Italian landscape bullshit, stuff, yeah. or they dismissed it as oh, it's just a thriller. Like I don't think that people really gave it a shot at being because it, it was so Hitchcocky and it was paying homage to any number of other types of genres. I think that movies that play in that sandbox and will be talking about many of them over the next several years as we do this. Um, I think that uh, I think there's something to be said for people being dismissive of uh, movies that seem like an exercise. Mm-hmm. An artistic exercise. I think that sometimes people, you know, uh, hit you know Tarantino with that stick from time to time too. I think that that this film of all of Mingella's movies was the most sort of genre exercise, and I think that people kind of dismissed it because of that. When I think there's a lot more going on in it. Yeah, I definitely agree. So zero to ninety nine scale. What we do on this show zero to ninety nine at the end is we rate the movies on a scale from zero to ninety nine on based a little bit on. How we felt about it back then and how we feel about it now. Yes. And, you know, 50 would be 5 out of 10. Average score, average movie, say, hmm, <laughs> The Majestic with Jim Carrey. That's uh, the movie? That's best the, I can think of as a movie that I'm just like fine about. What would you say is a 50? Any movie of all time. God, that's, that's actually harder than I, than I had imagined. Yeah. I don't have something off the top of my head. Just, uh, that's, that's, a, that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So talent, Mr. Ripley. Yep, yep. Um, Phil, why don't you go ahead and, and go first with your uh, rating? I'm going to say that when I saw Talented Mr. Ripley in 1999, I probably would have given that film, honestly, probably an 80. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really, really liked it. Um, watching it again recently, um, it dipped a little bit for me. Um, Primarily, the, that that twenty minutes in there with Phil Schumer Hoffman and the sure. his death that stuff just didn't really work for me as well. It only dipped the film to a seventy eight though. So we're very close. I'm an eighty one. We're basically in the basically same basically same. in the same yeah. region. Um, and you just heard why. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, so you're the same? Yeah, okay. No, I mean, I it's a great movie. I, I love lo- it. I love the movie. Yeah. It wasn't as good as um, An Eyes Wide Shut, for instance, for me. But to be fair, I mean, I, I'm actually probably being a little bit harsher on this scale than I am on the. I mean, it's it's on my top ten list. It's it's one of my favorite films of '99. Do you think it'll stay? Do you think it'll stay in your top ten list? Yes. You I think it might. I think it might have fallen a little bit in this year. You don't think you're going to have ten years, ten movies over a seventy-eight? I think you will. Yeah, but we'll see what right. happens. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right now, we'll them do, fighting yeah. words. It's fun to do a good movie every once in a while. <laughs> Next week, we won't be doing as good a movie. I think it's still a fun movie, though. Well, I thoroughly enjoy... The thing is, we've seen it. So, I mean, we, we've seen we, it recently. We've, we've seen both it seen it. We're Next week, we're going to be doing Deep Blue Sea. We will. Which, like, spoiler alert, is a fucking good movie. It's a good movie. <laughs> like, it's better than it has any right to yeah, be. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, I remember when I said to you, 
Let's do Deep Blue Sea. Which I had never seen. Which you had never seen. And you were like... And I had never had any interest in seeing. Right. You are like, None. the fucking shark movie? I'm like, what? Like the Lake Placid? Like, right, right, right. Which we also have to do. Which we also have to do. with this ridiculous year with like these, these <laughs> you know, these twins. These, these weird pairs. Weird, yeah. yeah. But I remember saying, let's do Deep Blue Sea. And you had never seen it. I saw it uh, in the theater. <laughs> yeah. um, I, th- that's I think a I running have, theme. I feel like I might have even seen it opening weekend, quite frankly. I had a friend that you just took had me. to see Deep Blue Sea. I had a friend, uh, Andrew Palkovic, who I'm still quite good friends with. Um, I believe we were working at the same video store at the time. And uh, Andrew was like, dude, we got to go see Rennie Harlan's Deep Blue Sea. And I was like, I don't really know why, but we can. And I remember enjoying it way more than I had any right to enjoy it. I will also say, and this is something that we'll get into this next week, but as a teaser, I've been in several, I've, I've had many meals and been with many writers, and I can't tell you how many times people reference Samuel Jackson's infamous death mm-hmm. in this movie. It is amazing. It's awesome. It's amazing. Um, anyway. I don't want to talk anymore. We're not going to talk this. anymore about that. But the Deep Blue Sea is next week. It's the podcast coming next week. Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea for all the for all the um, Saffron Burroughs fans out there. Uh, oh, Saffron, well, that's good poll. Um, and uh, I don't want to say Thomas Jane. I feel like if we say anything else, I'm going to want to talk about it <laughs> um, because I don't know. It's a it, it's a fun movie. We're going to have fun doing that one. I think. I think it's going to be fun. It's great. It just it lends itself to a podcast. It just does. Uh, Ripley less so, but I think we killed it. I think we killed it too. Um, rate, review, subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on. You're obviously getting this on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, or yeah, I guess those are. are we, I think those are the only Google, two things, right? Google. Oh, Google, Google Play. We're on Google, oh, Google Play. Well. Oh, nice. There you, yeah, <laughs> all these Google look Play that. people out there. Yeah. Uh, so you're on Twitter. You I tweet am. all the time. At Nybart, I retweet Phil all the time. <laughs> That's basically yeah. all that you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter as well, P-M-I-S-C-O, P-M-I-S-C-O-V-E. Yes. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at the same handle. And I am blocked on Instagram. Because he has kids. He doesn't want you to know your, you know, it's fine. You can't see my kids. No, I don't know fine. you. It's weird. It'd actually, be weird. Chances I, I know several people who are listening to this podcast. It probably. Yeah. yeah I, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And, and you're probably already following me on Instagram. Um, and, uh, and that's it. That's it. That's going to be great. Deep Lucy next week. Get ready for some hyper intelligent sharks. Oh yeah. We'll talk to you then. Oh, and some LL Cool J. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.